Today I'd like to talk about the process in which I believe that God brings someone to Him. I'll tell you how He brought me to Him. I believe that He kind of has three different ways that He uses to call someone. He chooses them, He regenerates them, and He converts them. And the first one, when He chooses us, that's already happened. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that. He says, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So it's already happened. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, I had heard the terms regeneration and conversion a few times in the past year, past few months. And at first I thought that regeneration was referring to when He chose us. And conversion was when we heard the gospel and decided to follow Him. But after hearing the opinions and interpretations of some other preachers, I, I think that He chooses us first, then He regenerates us, or He... He, sh- he shows us. He gives us life. That's right. Yeah. And then we follow him. That's right. And we are converted. Yeah. I've heard Brother Chuck say in some of his sermons. I don't know if this is what he was referring to, but he says, "Life always comes before action." And. I kind of think it's the same thing. That's right. He speaks, we live, and then we act. That's right. That's right. I'm going to take a look at John chapter 3. It's a familiar passage for most people. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Regeneration is not, I don't think it's a biblical term, but it is a biblical concept. And every time the Bible says, has anything to do with born again or being born again or new birth, I believe that that's what it's referring to. 
And Nicodemus says, probably the same response that we all would have if God hadn't showed us already, or if we didn't have His Word, or some witnesses to teach us about it. Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now I've heard Brother Steve ask the question, How much did you have to do with your natural birth? Nothing. You had nothing to do with it. same amount of effort you put into your spiritual birth. If you've been born again, you didn't birth yourself. It was Christ. That's right. It was all Christ. And I think after... Sometimes it happens right away. After we've been born again... Eventually, or immediately, we'll want to do good and serve God. If you ever hear someone talk about immediate regeneration, that doesn't necessarily mean it just happened right away. It means... Without means. It means that there was nothing that helped. It was just God. That's right. Putting it on our hearts. And opening our eyes. I want to look back in Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter. I want to look at the. We'll keep going in chapter 1. So he's chosen us before the foundation of the world. And then verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's chosen us. And. As Brother Steve says, he's predetermined our destination. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He had purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. That we should be to the praise of His glory, 
who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That, I believe, is referring to regeneration. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. done his work in my life or he started doing it pretty recently I don't think I was really born again until this year I think it was sometime in April. I remember it was a, it was a foggy morning, and I had been out of school for a few weeks, and I had been out of church for a few weeks, and. I got up that morning to go fishing. And I went down to the creek right by my house and the water was too muddy to catch any fish. So I went for a walk, probably walked about half a mile. And I had my phone with me and I decided to turn on one of Brother Steve's sermons. It was called Cleansing My Way. And he kind of gave instruction to all the young men on how to live a godly life or how to cleanse your way. And it was just what I needed. Some of the stuff that he said, I had never heard before. Or I'd heard it a thousand times, and I just, I never realized what it meant. I never even realized what the words were. It was the first time that I'd ever heard Matthew 6.33. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now it seems like I hear that verse everywhere, all the time. I didn't used to like going to church. I used to tell myself I liked going, but I didn't. I used to miss church to go to things like soccer games or sometimes when I was in church in fact most of the time when I was in church I was never really listening to the sermon I was just usually thinking about the homework I had to do that night but after I heard him say that in that sermon I made that commitment or at least I tried to and I've been trying ever since to If you do that, it will be the greatest joy of your life. And I can tell you firsthand, it's only been a few months, and it's those words are so true. When we started going back to church again, the scene never seemed so beautiful. It felt like it was the greatest sound I'd ever heard. And the preaching never seemed so powerful and so convicted. And the Lord never seems so merciful. I've never seen myself as such a sinner. And so unworthy of God's grace. Now I do. And I pray that if he hasn't opened your eyes already, that he will. Because it has been the greatest joy of my life. And I'm confident that it always will be. Not just while I'm here, but for eternity. Thank you. Thank you.
scriptures say the path of the just is as a shining light growing brighter and brighter until that perfect day. It doesn't always appear so. Many of us who have taken in hand to open God's word this year have desired with all our hearts to sympathize and empathize with the many struggles that have happened. And I think it is important, maybe even pivotal, for us to remember as we pray for and seek to teach and encourage one another in how to walk wisely in this world at a time like this, that we forget not the path and the way. That there are those who are just entering through the door. There are those who have been walking this path for decades and decades to us, especially those of us who have hardly been alive, it would seem like nearly an eternity to think of someone like Elder Bradley, who has been blessed to be faithful for so long. It gives us all great pleasure and joy when any of us begin in the way, when we see the regenerating work of God our Father, especially when that happens among those that we already know and love. It makes the story sweeter, in part, because of how many hours were so sour, and how many other hours. With other people that we know and love, have been so serious and so sober. I think it's very important for us to remember that there are all those of us that are in the way right now. I like to think quite often about how, about whether or not Adam knew that there would be billions of Adams. Because that's what we are, right? Not like cells, but we are. Adam means man, mankind. Did he, did he know? Did he have any grasp of the fullness of God's plan? I like to think about how Paul talked about how imminent the coming of Christ was and how you don't know just how much he was personally given to know about how long and far and how many Christians that God would bring about throughout the years. How much along the way God would suffer. To be so. I do know with all my heart and whether I know it or not, it is true that the times are all in the hand of the Lord. The oceans fit in his hands. And I think that comparison is given to us, like all the comparisons that he gives us, to give us a bit of perspective on how different he is from us. But our imaginations, I think, often are vastly shy of just how complete his control over us is. We here share often of the doctrines of grace and how God works in the inner hearts of man outside of our view, behind our sight, and in such deep places that we don't even have the words to properly comprehend. That's why we so often repeat the ones that he has given us to understand and see just how deep of a work he did, how precise his surgical hand is. It's the time of the year when we are often brought to reflection, and I think that is a good thing. I think that every year, Christians should hope to see that path growing brighter and brighter. That does not mean that there is less and less conflict. That is a matter which every Christian knows is ongoing. We even have a song, I believe it's 540, that talks about the beginning of uh, the work in the heart of a man to be saved. 
And the last verse of the song says, and it brings you to this culmination, then there is the completion, then there is the beginning of the walk in the way. And it says, from this moment, your conflict begins. We all say yes, because we know. We know that. The enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but he has a sweet tooth for believers, doesn't he? He has a special taste and a desire to take what is God's. He began with the animal kingdom that he, that God has so perfectly and well made, and he went for the wisest of them. Then he took the capstone in, in Adam and conquered that. Then he sought after the very Son of God himself and continued to desire those things which are God's. But through the obedience of Jesus and through the power and the gift of the Word of God, he was thwarted that day when he was when Jesus was tempted by this enemy. This enemy is the same enemy that now troubles us. We are troubled in many ways by him and by, of course, the last enemy, which is death, which is the wages of sin. All of our troubles can be boiled down to these things, or as the scriptures put it, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we must remember that our times are in his hands. As we look back at the year that was in 2020, I have to say the world has been troubled in a great many ways. We see many that we personally know and love that are sick or some have fallen, and yet the Lord has been faithful. We see what appears to be at first a long gap in the ministry in New York, and then now a possible ending. I can't tell you what pain that brings. But as long as we are here below, our years are going to continue to be filled with trouble. I'd like to read a a psalm. I don't intend to expound upon it, and I don't have time. But this is one that is often read and considered at this time of the year. This particular verse, I'm sure, will jump out at you once we get to it. But I'd like you to consider this Word of God and remember, again, that it was in the delivery of the Word of God by Elder Lloyd that was used as that device in the testimony that Luke just gave. It was in the delivery of the word of God by Jesus to Satan that the enemy left him and that he was then ministered to by the very angels of God. So I'll ask your attention. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock. For in house of defense to to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Beloved, I would that this be your desire. As Luke has just expressed and as we often have remembered, but sometimes we need to cry out, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. For when you've heard these words enough, the enemy will use anything he can, including your previous knowledge of the word, to tire you out to the joy that God gives us daily. He has a great many tricks, and I think his most well-worn and most used is discouragement. But let us remember to cry out to him, for he is the one who should lead us and guide us. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. 
I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. Thou hast not shut me up to the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Now, I'm sure you all may have just heard one of the things we passed over, but it says, Thou hast not shut me up into the hand of my enemy. Remember when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he was that day bearing our sin. But what did he say? Into thine hands I commit my spirit. Even at the end, even when he was and had been suffering for our sake, even when he was separated from his God and his Father, who he had faithfully obeyed all this time, even then he continued to trust him and quote the word of God given to him. And given, amazingly enough, to you this very day. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. Anyone who uh, can say that once you become a Christian, everything is going to be easy all the time, hasn't actually read the Bible. For there would be no reason for a Christian to cry out in such a way if that was the case. But what we would contend is that we have access not just to the best joy, but to the most sustainable joy. Anyone who has done drugs or pursued drunkenness knows that they end quickly. And the more you do them, the less effective they are. And indeed, every joy that is not God works in the exact same way. It loses its effectiveness. But the joy in God grows brighter and brighter and brighter. He is life. He is life, beloved. That means that the more you know him, the more you will know him. There is more of him than can be studied for all of eternity. Remember, when you learn to know a loved one or a friend just a little bit more, whether it be their uh, things good about them or maybe the other things, right? You tend to have these moments that just fill you with joy as you begin to know them and realize that you have more in common and in sync with them that's lovely and more lovely as the days go by. Beloved, this is what eternity will be like, magnified, because you'll be remade and more able to take in more of who he is, more able to love and more able to properly understand who he is. And still, he will always have that air of mystery, as you might have had on the first date, for the first time you got to play a game with a friend. Always and forever. But again, I... I want to cut it off. It says, For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. Beloved, if we will contend with the enemy, we will be at times filled with grief and our, our times will be filled with sighing. And many of us have experienced that this year, sometimes personally and, and in many cases empathetically as we have considered those around us who have been sick, who have gone through different trials and tribulations throughout the course of this time. My strength faileth because of mine enemies, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to my acquaintance. They that sit me did they that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind, I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side, while they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies, and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. 
which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. All ye that hope in the Lord. As we saw with Luke, there are times when we are so filled with joy or sadness we cannot move. Be of good cheer. The Lord, He will strengthen your heart, for the times are in His hands. Thank you for your attention. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll take you to the book of Philippians if you'd like to follow along. Philippians chapter 1. Good book on. Prayer by A.W. Pink about the prayers of the Apostle Paul. I highly recommend it. I haven't read the whole thing, but what I've read is very rich. If you read that book, you would find, I'm sure, a chapter about this particular prayer. Philippians chapter 1, we can learn so much from the way that Paul prayed and what he prayed for, for the believers that he was acquainted with, many of whom he had been responsible for their conversions, either directly or indirectly, started the churches that they attended. Philippi was one such congregation. So you know that his love and his desire for their well-being was genuine. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now this is, thank you, Carla, this is, um, this is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's not... Uh, Exaggerating, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. His fellowship that he has in mind, I think it is more than just um, their friendship. I think it, it means their participation with him in the gospel, but certainly his the fellowship that they had, their common belief, and their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. I kind of mentioned a little bit on Sunday about, God forbid, I mean, we're seeing... It happened right now with these three ministers that we're praying for. Uh, whatever happens to the ministry, Paul here is writing this letter from jail. He says, even in my labors, whether it's in bonds or in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, he says, ye all are partakers of my grace. Sounds like he's saying, even though I'm in prison right now, that's not a reason for you to be discouraged. He says, God's giving me grace, and you are a partaker of that grace because of their fellowship in the Gospels. He says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to focus on briefly. And this I pray that your love 
may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. I want to look at that verse 9. He says, I'm praying for you that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So, that's kind of a foreign concept to me. I don't know about you, but when I think about love and showing love and demonstrating love for God and for one another, growing in my capacity to love my family and friends and God's children in the church... He says, I want your love to abound in knowledge and in all judgment. And both of those words have the idea of perception, discernment, being able to perceive reality. He says, I want your love to abound in this knowledge and judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense, to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. I don't have a lot of light on this, but I'll show you the thoughts that I have. And if you have more thoughts, I welcome your feedback. He says, that you may approve things that are excellent. Here's what I think Paul's driving at. Why our love needs to be informed by knowledge and all judgment. You know, you can, uh, you can have feelings of desire and wanting somebody to do well, but maybe your motives or your desire or your vision for what's best for that person, maybe it doesn't really arrive at God's standard and God's desire. Maybe for your children, you just desire for them to get a great education and get a great job. Maybe have a, a, a good marriage, and that's as high as you aim for your children. But I think when he says our love abounds in knowledge and all judgment, he says that you may approve things that are excellent. I think that's raising the standard. Right? What, what is God's desire for you? And that's why we can learn a lot from Paul's prayer. What was the Apostle Paul's prayer and desire for the church at Philippi? Is it just for us to have an easy life, not to have any persecution or suffering? Is it for us to, to live comfortable lives and for us to have lots of friends? Well, when you look at the letters in the New Testament, it seems like he says the first thing out of his mouth in verse 2 is grace unto you and peace. That was what Paul desired for the Philippian church, for you to have grace and for you to have peace. And so, as our love grows in knowledge and in all judgment, I believe that we're going to have the desires for one another and those acts of service that aim at things that God desires for His people. That your love may approve things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense. So, sincerity, purity. Uh, sometimes, maybe we have... We show acts of service and acts of love, but maybe our motives aren't right. Maybe we want to put on a good show, make people think that we like us, maybe flatter them, but maybe our heart's not, uh, the motive's not pure. He says, I want you to approve things that are excellent, but also be sincere, be pure in your desires for the well-being of one another, for the glory of God. And without offense. You know, have you ever justified uh, certain decisions or certain actions because you say, well, the end justifies the means. I know the, the end is right, so it doesn't matter how I go about getting there. And I'll give you an example. 
several years ago, had a preaching appointment at Columbia, and we were running late. And I thought, well, it's important to be on time to church, so I'm going to break the speed limit because the end justifies the means. I've got to be on time to get to church. Well, I don't know about your experience, but my experience with that was we drove 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit the whole way down. I thought, oh, this is great. I don't feel too guilty in my conscience. We're going to be on time. And you know what? I blew right past the exit. We got somehow got onto 295 instead of I-95. And then it turns out there's not a lot of exits where you can get off and make the U-turn to come back around. And we went all the way down to the Beltway and had to come back up. And we were, what, 10 or 15 minutes late, maybe? So if I had just gone on speed limit, we would have probably done better than just... He says that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So as our love abounds in knowledge and judgment, we have better objectives and desires. We're pure in our motives and then our strategy and our tactics are not offensive. They're not going to cause a stumbling block to one another. We need all those things as we learn how to more skillfully love and serve one another in the church. You may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. And then he says this, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And so, without offense, we don't want to do anything that causes God's children to stumble. But the flip side of that is being filled with the fruits of righteousness. We want to set an example. We want to live a way that sets a good example for for God's people and that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And I'll wrap it up real quick. But remember, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He says in John 15 that if we abide in Him, we shall bear much fruit. So if we want to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are going to glorify God, the way we do that is not by, okay, write out the list and say, I'm going to focus on this fruit today and try to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Galatians chapter 5. That's not the way we bear more fruit. The way we bear more fruit is by abiding in Christ. And that's why it's so critical that we have the discipline and we have the grace of God to set, set time aside each day, begin your day, each morning, with the Lord. And I'm preaching to myself now. I don't know about anybody else's prayer closet, but I know my own. And I'll tell you and I'll confess to you that if I have to choose between getting up, especially in the north where it's cold, and get out of bed and and spend time alone with the Lord or stay under the blanket where it's warm until the very last possible minute, I'll tell you what I'm going to do in my flesh. We need God's grace to spend time with Him. And not just... Uh, say a, a quick prayer, read a verse or two. I mean, to spend time abiding in Him because He says that's how we're going to bear much fruit. And may God give us the grace to do that. Enjoy what's been shared tonight. Thank the Lord. Bless you. Amen.